Amen. Let's keep putting our hands together for the worship team just leading us in worship this morning. Amen. What a gift to sing and worship and lift our voices before our God. For those of you who are watching online on Facebook, on YouTube, on newlife.nyc, welcome. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, I'll be downstairs for those of you in the room here at the end of our service and would love to meet you, especially uh, if we've never met before. So please make your way in my direction or one of our pastor's direction in the lobby area. We would love to connect with you. Today we are starting a new series. The series is going to go about 10 weeks long. It's entitled God and Our Bodies Exploring the Connection Between Spirituality and Sexuality, uh, God and Our Bodies. And uh, this is an important topic for us that we're going to be uh, exploring the various layers as it relates to this uh, really important topic. And throughout the course of this series, we're going to have many different points of equipping and connection. And I wanted to just share one of those uh, opportunities that's happening in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, a seminar entitled The Soul of Shame. It's going to be led by a psychiatrist and an author uh, by the name of Dr. Kurt Thompson. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I was reading one of his books entitled The Soul of Shame. And there's certain books that you read, as you're reading it, you realize, oh, I'm getting some good information here. This is pretty good. And then there's some books that you read that there's something that's shifting in your soul as you're reading it. Like, wow, there's something actually happening inside of me as I'm reading these words. And I'm not sure if it was the season of life I was in. I'm sure that had to do with it. Uh, but this was one of the most important books that I had read at that particular journey. So it might not be for you the best book, but for me, it met me in that particular moment, which is why I always laugh when someone says to me uh, after a service, Pastor Rich, that was the best message you ever preached. Um, and it, it's, oh, it's very funny to me because uh, it's often the times that the best message is the message that we most need in that moment. And so we don't have as much objectivity as to what is best or not. It's just that's the best message for me at that particular moment. But as I was reading that book, God did something in my soul as it related to shame. And so Dr. Thompson is going to be preaching here in a couple of weeks on May 7th and followed up with a two-hour seminar. I don't usually say, hey, guys, I want everyone, to, as many of you to be here as possible. You don't really hear that from me, but I really want you to take advantage of the world-class insight that we're going to be receiving from him. It's $10. You can get yourself a bite to eat in between uh, the end of this service and the start of that seminar, but do your best to make it here. I believe God is going to do some significant work in our community throughout this series and especially, uh, particularly through that seminar. And so um, we're going to be going into some uh, pretty deep waters over the next 10 weeks and the reason we are having a series on spirituality and sexuality is really threefold. When I think about why, the why behind it, the first reason is because at New Life we hold an important theological conviction that our spirituality should not be separated from our sexuality. That is, there should be some integration between our spirituality and our sexuality. Number two, the reason why we're having a series like this is because throughout the course of our history at New Life, we have dived deep into into some uh, culturally often polarizing issues. In our congregation, we've talked about race and racism. We've talked about politics. 
And we, from time to time, we have talked about sexuality, but not like this to this degree. But we want to live in truth, and we want to ask the hard questions and not be afraid to engage in some really important conversation. As a matter of fact, anything that you cannot talk about demonstrates that you are under its power. If you can't talk about something, if you can't talk about your money, if you can't talk about uh, your sexuality, if you can't talk about some aspect of your life, it's often the case that we are dominated by shame. And as a congregation, I just want to be under the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't want to be under any other power but the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means that we must have conversations along these lines to demonstrate that we, not, we are not enslaved to anything but to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the reason we're having a series this length is because of the rapidly changing culture that we find ourselves in. It's often the case that the church is way behind our culture and always trying to catch up and there's massive change in our society, how do we uh, engage the changes in our society? How do we wrestle with them theologically and emotionally and relationally? And so we're going to be exploring that. And to give you a big picture as to where we're going over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be exploring some, some big topics that are really important to get to the nature of the various layers. For example, today is going to be an introduction, introductory sermon, but we're going to talk about sexual brokenness and trauma. We're going to talk about shame and sexuality. We're going to talk about the damaging power of lust. Our Lord Jesus Christ has much to say about that in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about the holy covenant of marriage, the sacred vocation of singleness. We'll talk about the church as the family of God and the church and the larger culture wars. We'll talk about gender identity, and at the same time, we're going to have various uh, seminars on, like, the impact of shame on Jesus, the church, and the LGBTQ plus community, and uh, gender dysphoria. And so it's going to be very easy, light stuff over the next couple of weeks, and so uh, we, this should be just a breeze for us, okay? But this is what I want you to hear, especially as we begin this first message. At New Life, we have a phrase that says we are called to speak in the eye, speak in the eye, which is to say that our communication is to be about uh, uh, speaking from a sense of self-awareness, not, speak, not preaching for everyone, but speaking in the eye, as opposed to saying, you know how people are when they get mad. No, this is how I am when I get mad. So we want to speak in the eye, but we just don't want to speak in the eye for this series. We want to listen in the eye. We want to listen for ourselves. It's very easy. Have you ever listened to a sermon before? I know I've done it, and I said, ooh, so-and-so needs to hear this message. <laughs> or this message is for that group of people, not for me. But what we want to do throughout the course of this series is listen in the eye. What does God have to say to you? What does God have to say to me? So let us all, as a community throughout the course of this series, listen in the eye. And it was with that, I want to go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. You can follow along on the screen or on your phone or in your Bible. Romans, chapter 12. We're looking at two verses today. I'm going to offer some exegesis, some interpretation around this verse, offer some theological truths, and then some implications. Here's my hope for this sermon. This sermon is going to be like an introduction to a book that has 12 chapters to it. So we're going to get some big picture overview. Where are we going? Why is this significant? And what does God want to do in our hearts as we journey together over the next two and a half months? Are you with me? 
Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2, hear the word of the Lord. The apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Lord, would you bless our time today? Would you bless the reading of your word? Would you you open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts that we would receive every gift you have for us? Lord, I pray that you would bind our community together, that we would uh, discern your will, that we would be open to the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would say yes to the transformation you long to offer to us. For all these things, we pray it in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Amen. I want to start off this sermon by focusing on the late artist Prince, on on the late artist Prince. Some of you know his music, some of you love his music. Uh, I'm not sure if you thought you were going to be hearing about Prince on a Sunday morning, but, but, but here we are. In 2016, after Prince's death, the New York Times came out with an op-ed piece on his life, trying to understand who he was and what informed his music. And in the piece, they talked about the connection between Prince's spirituality and his sexuality. Uh, Prince was a Jehovah's Witness, and in the op-ed piece, they mentioned something that I think is really important for us to focus on as we begin this series on sexuality. Uh, The op-ed piece said, for him, the love of God and the sexual urges we feel are one and the same somehow. For him, it all comes from the same root inside a human being. God planted these urges, and it's never wrong to feel that way. The urge itself is a holy urge. Now, we might read these words and look at Prince and listen to his music, and and we might not conclude that the way that Prince lived his life was a way that was maybe faithful to the sexual ethic of the kingdom of God or what it means to follow Jesus. We can have our disagreements about all that stuff there, but one thing I think it's important for us to note about what Prince offered is his ability to connect connect the two, spirituality and sexuality. It's often the case that in our culture, those two things are separated. And in the church, those two things are separated. It's often the case that in the church, we focus on spirituality to the extent where we don't talk about sexuality. Or in our culture, we talk about sexuality without talking about spirituality. And while we might come to a different conclusion about Prince on some of these matters, what he had right was an ability to hold these two things together. And that's exactly what we want to do throughout the course of this series, which begs the question, how do we define these important terms? How do we define spirituality? How do we define sexuality? How do we hold these two things together? And over the course of our church's history, my time here, I've come back to very uh, simple definitions uh, through a woman by, by the name of Deb Hirsch, who I find her definition on spirituality and sexuality to be very helpful to at least get us on the same ground as it relates to definitions. As it relates to spirituality, Deb Hirsch says that spirituality can be defined as a vast longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to probe, and to understand our world. Beyond that, it is the inner compulsion to connect with the eternal other that is God. 
Essentially, and this is the essence of it, essentially, what is spirituality? It is a longing to know and be known by God on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to have a spirituality? It is this deep longing inside of us to know God and be known by God. Her point is that sexuality is very similar. Her definition of sexuality, which I find to be very helpful, is that sexuality can be described as the deep desire and longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with to understand that which is other than ourselves. Essentially, here it is, it is a longing to know and be known by other people on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. It is this deep desire within all of us to know God and be known by God. And this deep desire in all of us to be known by others and to know others on various levels. And it's important that we have a conversation about this. It's important that we look to the scriptures around this because this is a fundamental human part of us, our spirituality and our sexuality. And the reason we need this is because the church from the very beginning, friends, has had trouble with this. The church has had trouble integrating spirituality and sexuality. One of the reasons I love reading the New Testament is because the church was a mess, amen. The church didn't just become a mess when it got to the United States. The church just didn't become a mess a couple of decades ago. The church has had problems from the very beginning, which is why whenever I hear people say, we need to be like the early church. Have you read those things? People were dying during sermons, okay? People were being carried out dead because the Holy Spirit came. I don't know if I want to go back to the early church as we say we want to go back to. And so we have to talk about this because the church has not done well in this area. Either the church has been very silent in this area or the church has been incredibly judgmental in this area or it's been very awkward in this area, or we have not discerned the scriptures together, or there's been a lack of of integrity with the church. And so how can the church preach about sexuality when the church as a whole is messed up with our integrity and our character? And so to talk about this is fraught with all kinds of challenges, and yet this is an invitation for us. And what complicates this even more is the sexual brokenness, the shame that all of us feel to one degree or another. We all carry sexual brokenness in our community, in our lives, and it manifests in many different ways. I could give you a long list of all the ways sexual brokenness manifests, but that list will take too much time. But when I think about that, these are some of the ways that our brokenness is expressed from one person to the next. Our sexual brokenness is expressed in adultery, in divorce, in gender dysphoria, in lust, in pedophilia, in pornography, in rape, in sexism, sexual abuse, sexual addiction, sex trafficking. Why are we talking about this stuff today? Why do we need to spend a couple of months talking about the integration of our spirituality and our sexuality? Because there's lots of brokenness. There's lots of hurting people. There are people that are stuck in toxic ways. There are people that are in need of the grace of God in their lives, in this particular aspect of their lives. Whether married or single, whether gay or straight, we all have challenges that we must wrestle with, and we are moving towards the hope, sexual wholeness. That's the hope for our series. 
Now, when I talk about sexual wholeness, again, this is a big introduction sermon, so you're going to get a lot coming your way, and I would encourage you to listen again throughout the course of this week. Sexual wholeness is this uh, uh, the commitment, is this prayerful integration of our spirituality and our sexuality that is to result in deep, satisfying relationships. Go to that slide for me. With others that roots out shame that cultivates vulnerability and leads to healthy bonding. Where are we going throughout this series? Here's the hope. That we would prayerfully discern our lives, that we would integrate our spirituality and our sexuality in such a way that roots out shame, in such a way that cultivates vulnerability, in such a way that leads to healthy bonding. And it is here we return to Romans chapter 12 because the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about transformation. The Apostle Paul has lots to say about what it means for our entire lives to be lifted up before God in worship. And so what I want to do is I want to take these first two verses, I want to explore them a little bit, and then I want to draw out a few important theological truths and then implications for our lives individually and for us as a community. Amen? Paul says at the beginning, I urge you brothers and sisters. I urge you brothers and sisters. I want to highlight brothers and sisters here because transformation is a community project. Any kind of transformation that we think is going to happen by ourselves is something that's not going to lead us in the way of transformation. I can't tell you how many people, I can't tell you how many times I have struggled in my life with Jesus, following Jesus 25 years or so, and I said, you know what, I'll handle that myself. I'll take care of that myself. No, transformation requires a community. Transformation requires that we are known by others and we know others. Transformation requires the community of God, which is why we need each other for the sake of transformation. This is why we need to be joined together in small groups and in conversation and praying for one another. We need one another, friends, for the sake of transformation. There are no long rangers in the kingdom of God. There's no one who's going to really truly experience a depth of transformation by you doing it yourself and more willpower and you trying harder. We need a community around us. And so Paul begins, brothers and sisters. Transformation is a community enterprise. Then Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, He begins by saying, therefore, and we've talked about this before, but whenever in the Bible you see the word therefore, you need to ask a very important question. Why is the therefore, therefore? Okay, why is the therefore, therefore? And the reason the therefore is there is in light of something that happened previously. In Romans chapter 11, God is talking, Paul is talking about God's mercy. He's talking about God's power. He's talking about all the ways that God has shown up for the people of God working in Jesus Christ. And now, therefore, in light of God's mercies, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, which is to say that transformation does not bring about God's mercy. It is God's mercy that brings about transformation. We do not fix ourselves up and then get God's mercy. Amen. We receive God's mercy, which empowers us to now live a life that is pleasing to God. That's a very important shift. It's very easy to believe if I fix myself up, then I'll get grace. If I come to church on time, if I read the scriptures, then God will give me grace. But God's grace does not come uh, after we've done good. 
God's grace always comes first, which is why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. It's God's kindness that leads to our repentance. Are you with me? And so Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because God has been so good to you, because God's mercy has been poured out to you in Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit is with you, because the kindness and the grace of God is over you, in view of all of this here, we don't have to earn the love of God. We don't have to earn the mercy of God. It's given to you as a free gift. Now, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Know what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, offer your souls as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say, offer your spirit as a living sacrifice. He, he doesn't say, offer your mind as a living sacrifice. He says, offer your bodies, the entirety of your being, who you are, which begs an important question. When Jesus Christ died for you, did he die for your soul or your body? And the answer is yes. Jesus Christ died not just for your soul. He died for the entire world, and your body is included in that, which is why we just focused two weeks ago on Easter, on the resurrection, reminding us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he did not rise from the dead as some kind of ghost figure. He rose from the dead with a glorified body. And where are we going, friends? We are going one day, going to be resurrected in a glorified body. And so because our bodies matter up then, in the future, our bodies are to matter right here as well. Offer your bodies, the entirety of who you are, because this is your true and proper worship. But then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, who are we being formed by? Are we being formed by our families? Are we being formed by our surrounding culture? Are we being formed by our fears and our own anxieties? Are we being formed by the Holy Scriptures? Are we being formed by the pattern of Jesus Christ? The hope for us is that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, his life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of Jesus, that's the things that are actually transforming our lives. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, which, ha which makes us ask an important question. As we think about our bodies, as we think about sexuality, as we think about the bigger questions of life, to what degree are we being shaped by the character of God? To what degree are we being shaped by Holy Scripture? To what degree are we being shaped by Jesus himself don't be conformed to the world but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind that phrase is important because we're not when paul says renewing of your mind he's not just talking about memorizing bible verses the renewing of our mind is this really um multi-layered approach to doing life in the way of jesus christ that Jesus Christ is the one who is to transform me in my renewing of my mind. That as I behold Jesus, as I behold his life, as I behold his teachings, my life is to be transformed into his image. And so Paul talks about transformation here in many ways. And there are important truths that we must deduce, conclude from this and scripture as a whole. 
And so there are four truths in, in particular that I want us to focus on because I know what some of us are probably already thinking. Why are we doing this? And why are we doing two months on this no less? Because there's important theological truths around this. The first theological truth that's important for us to name is that our bodies are part of God's good creation. Our bodies are part of God's good creation. God created our body. You know, there's some certain teachings throughout history that have said that the body is bad and the spirit is good. The body's bad and the spirit is good, which has led to all kinds of extremes in the church. Depriving your body, saying no to all kinds of desires that you have. Every, if, it, if it feels good, it must be bad. That's basically the church, much of the church's teachings about our desires and our longings. But our bodies are part of God's good creation, and that's important for us to note. But more than that, we live in this reality where our bodies are subjected, number two, to the presence of sin. That sin has marred our lives. And sin has marred our world. This is not a category that the world talks about much. You're not going to turn on local television or cable news and say, the reason why we're having these issues in the world is because of sin. Wow, look at all the sin in the world. You're not, that's not a category that the world talks about. But it's a category that the church has to describe there's something wrong in the world. Sin is not just something that we do. Sin is a power that we are under. We are under a particular power that orients us away from God that says, my kingdom come, my will be done. And we must contend with this reality that our bodies are subjected to the presence of sin. Thirdly, we must recognize that the incarnation of God in Christ sanctifies our bodies. God became flesh. It's unbelievable. Think about that for a moment. God becomes flesh, and in the coming of God in Christ, our bodies are now sanctified. Jesus becomes one of us, saying that our bodies are good. And then fourthly, theologically, the resurrection that we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago confirms the centrality of the body. And all of these things must be held together. Why are we talking about the body? Why are we talking about all the layers of it? Why are we talking about our relationships? Why are we talking about our sexuality? Because our bodies matter. They matter before God in our worship and in our discipleship towards Jesus. And with all this here, there are important implications for our church. Important things that we must keep in mind that throughout the course of this series, we are just remembering as we're in conversations in our small groups as we're meeting one, you know, new lifers for coffee or what have you, as we're reflecting on our own, what are the implications that are important for us to remember as we go throughout this series? And I want to offer a few implications. The first implication is that we must remember that we are all sexually broken. The person sitting next to you, to your left, is sexually broken. The person sitting to your right, sexually broken. The person behind you, sexually broken. In front of you, every single one of us, we are sexually broken. And I just love that the Bible is filled with real stories of brokenness. Aren't you glad that when you read the Bible, you're not reading stories of just perfect people? How discouraging would that be? And so-and-so prayed all the time, and so-and-so never sinned. They'd be like, why should I read this and make myself feel really bad? But I love reading the Bible over and over again because it shows the stories of ordinary, broken people 
who are made righteous by a holiness outside of themselves. Praise the Lord for that. The Bible's not this collection of, of, of sanitized holy people who always did the right thing. It's a collection of broken people who are made righteous by a power outside of themselves. And we must recognize, friends, that we are all sexually broken, but our brokenness manifests in different ways. And with that brokenness comes the, the, the temptation that we must all avoid. And it is the temptation to create hierarchies of sin. The church throughout history has specialized in this, creating hierarchies of sin. As opposed to the church leading the way in confession, as opposed to the church leading the way in repentance, as it, as it relates to the church leading the way, as Paul said, Paul said, I am the chief among sinners. That should be the posture of the church. Instead, what happens is we create hierarchies of what sins are socially acceptable and what sins are not socially acceptable. And when you look at the Bible, we see that the Bible has some important things to highlight and note that for many of us does not come on the top 10 list of worst sins. For example, the Bible has a lot to say about greed. And if you think about what are the top five sins on the average person's list, does that make the top five? Does that make the top three? The Bible has a lot to say about gossip, about how we use our tongue, how we speak. But often that's not the case where it doesn't make our top, top five, top 10 list. The, the, the ways that we create hierarchies of the worst sins are so subjective and often determined on the things that we like least. And we must do our best, friends, New Life Fellowship Church, we must do our very best not to create hierarchies of sin, but to recognize that we are all broken in need of the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Secondly, the second implication for this is that sexual wholeness is not moral perfection. As we talk about sexual wholeness throughout the course of this series, we must recognize that what we're not getting at is perfection but integrity. Not perfection but character. Sexual wholeness is not living something perfectly but wrestling with something faithfully. And we are invited by the grace of God as we search the scriptures together in community to recognize we are in need of the grace of God and the mercy of God, and this does not mean moral perfection. As a matter of fact, sexual wholeness invites us to confess the areas of our struggle so that we might find help and grace from God and the community around us. And so we're not expecting, and I hope you don't hear this series go, oh, by the end of this series, I'll have this together and that together and that together, and I'll never struggle with that sin anymore. I pray that God, I pray that God gives us great breakthrough throughout this series. But we're not getting at moral perfection. The only morally perfect person is Jesus Christ. And we rest in his righteousness, amen? Not in our righteousness. And so we recognize as a community that sexual wholeness is not moral perfection throughout the course of this series we're also going to explore the this implication that we must discern who we give our body to we are immersed in a culture that takes sexuality and sexual intimacy to be something that's very flippant and in movies and in culture it's usually the case often where it's depicted where someone meets someone they don't even know their last name and and the scene shifts to a hotel or the scene shifts to a place of physical intimacy. The world can be so flippant as it relates to who we give our bodies to. 
And we must look to the wisdom of the scriptures and the wisdom of the church throughout history that sexuality and sexual intimacy is a fire, that it bonds us, and there is really only one container that is strong enough to absorb the true fire that sexual intimacy is, and that's marriage. That marriage is truly the sacred container that can hold the wild fire that sexual intimacy is. And I know how countercultural this is, but this is a fire. And many people have been wounded because of the ways that we have flippantly offered our bodies to others, whether through coercion or whether through our own choice. But we must do the hard work, friends, of discerning who we give our bodies to. Number four, as we go throughout this series, we must recognize that sexual wholeness is about relating to others in ways not given to objectification. We live in a society of objectification, of using, of lust. When you look at the, the impact that pornography has in our culture, it's marked by objectification, using, creating relationships in our head. And Jesus, in a few weeks, we're going to hear about Jesus' words, which he says primarily to men, although it applies to everyone, but primarily to men, of the ways of using, objectification, as opposed to communion, as opposed to love, as opposed to self-giving love. And so we must recognize that sexual wholeness is about ordering our lives in ways not given to objectification. Number six, why are we doing this series? What are the implications? Well, we must recognize that sexuality is about seeing God as the source and the end of my longings. God is source and the end. All the longings that I have to be known, all the longings I have for intimacy, all the longings I have uh, for vulnerability points to my deep spiritual desire to connect with God. God has created this in you so that all these longings will ultimately point you to God, which is to say, friends, that we will never get to a place in our life while on this earth where all of those longings are going to be satisfied, which is why for those single folks in the room here, single folks watching online, some folks say, if only I could get married, oh, then my loneliness will finally go away. Come on, married folks. Come on, testify. <laughs> Some of the loneliest people are married because you have the illusion of intimacy because of close proximity and the frustration that it's right here, but I can't attain it. People say, if, if only if I got married, then my lust problem would go away. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Marriage is not going to solve lust. Amen, somebody. We're not there yet, but we're going to go there. That marriage is not going to solve this thing. In many cases, it intensifies it. I am preaching here. Am I? Am I am preaching here. I feel the spirit now. And so God is the source of my longings. God is the end of my longings. And everything is to point me to God and to point us to God. Lastly, why are we doing this series? One of the implications that I wanted to take home is that the gospel offers good news to those who are carrying shame. 
We have a congregation, those of you watching online, those in our church. I've been in this church for 15 years. I've had plenty of conversations with people over the years. And this is one thing that I know. There are many people in our church carrying deep shame because of what they've done. And there's many people carrying deep shame because of what has been done to you. Because of what you've done and what you've done to you. And you live with shame. What is shame? Shame is not simply, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. There's something in my core, who I am, that's worthless. And it is very easy for us to live with debilitating shame in our lives. And yet, friends, the gospel offers good news for those of you who are shackled by shame. This is what, I I love the story of the crucifixion and how Jesus reverses the curse. Amen. Jesus reverses the curse. When you look at Good Friday and you look at the crucifixion, we see how what Jesus is doing is deeply connected to what has happened and what has come before in the scriptures. In the biblical story, something has happened before, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it, and he's the reversal of the curse. Think about Adam and Eve for a moment. Adam and Eve, after they sin, they take from a fruit from a tree that God said, don't touch that, and they said, my kingdom come, my will be done. They take from the tree, and they recognize that they are naked, and they hide, perhaps next to a tree, and they are covered in shame. When Adam and Eve sin, they hide behind a tree, naked, covered in shame. But look at Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus Christ hangs on a tree, naked, and conquers shame. The cross is not just the good news that we're forgiven. The cross is not just the good news that, we, that we're going to go to heaven when we die in Christ. The cross is the good news that shame no longer has a power over us, that we can be free in the name of Jesus. And so praise the Lord, friends, as we're in this series, let us be open to the Holy Spirit. Let us be open to the transforming grace of God. We all come here with struggles. We all come here with problems. We all come here being formed by families and formed by cultures and formed by our own anxiety. But praise God, the Spirit of God is here. And praise God, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And the gospel offers good news that we can all be transformed and changed in his name. That we don't have to live with debilitating shame any longer. Why? Because God is with us. And God is for us. And God is with us. And God is in us. And God wants to work through us. We sing as the people of God. We worship as the people of God because God is near. And as we go throughout this series, friends, I am trusting God to do a great work in our lives, in our, in our bodies, in our marriages, in our singleness, in our friendships. I'm trusting that God is going to do something deep in our lives. And my hope is that all of these things, as we explore that would be done and set in the, in the context of worship, in the context of prayer, in the context of humility, in the context of curiosity, in, in, the, in the context of self-examination. And as we, listen, many churches do not want to touch this. And I believe, friends, that New Life Fellowship is uniquely positioned 
to demonstrate what can be done. I am under no illusions that we see everything in the same way. I'm in the same way that 30% of our church voted for Donald Trump and 30% of our church voted for Joe Biden and 20% of our church probably voted for Spider-Man because he's from Queens and and 10% and all the rest. I am under no illusions that we see everything in the same way. But praise God, we can still demonstrate to the world around us that we can work for wholeness and we can embody love and curiosity, and humility, and mercy, and compassion, that we can show what is possible when Jesus Christ gets a hold of a people. May that be the case for us as we journey together. Let's pray together. And so therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Lord Jesus, we need your grace. As a community, we need your grace. As individuals, we need your grace. As families, we need your grace. And so lead us, I pray, in the power of your spirit. Lead us into deeper waters of humility and love. Lead us into deeper waters of repentance and confession. Lead us into deeper waters of witnessing to your kingdom. For all these things, Lord, we give you praise and we sing as a response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing in response together. From the darkness I called your name Into darkness Your love. 
have our prayer team come to my right. As I just mentioned a minute ago, my hope is that over the next few months that the conversations we have, the Sunday worship that we find ourselves in, the teaching would be immersed in worship, in prayer. The world does not do a good job negotiating differences. The world does not do a good job being in proximity to people who don't see the world in the same way they do. Have you paid attention to a world? (laughs) Have you paid attention to the reactivity, the demonizing, 
May our small groups, when we gather together for conversation in homes, on Zoom, may our after-church discussions, may our own individual processing before God, may we tackle all of this in a spirit of worship and in prayer. Those who have been immersed in the presence of God, truly immersed in the presence of God, you know what they come out more? Loving. Humble. You know what? I know someone has been with Jesus when the fruit of the Spirit emerges from their life. And so may we be people who immerse ourselves in God. And sometimes we need someone to pray for us. So we have our prayer team to my right for whatever need you have today. Maybe you came into church today struggling with some stuff. You need someone to pray for you. Maybe you came into church and your marriage has been out of sorts. You need someone to pray for both of you. Maybe you've had lots of questions and you're dealing with shame. We want to bless you and pray with you today. Remember I said when Paul says brothers and sisters at the start of Romans chapter 12, he's saying we need a community. We need one another on the journey of transformation. In addition to that, throughout the course of this series, if we can put up that journaling uh, link again, Every week, we're going to have a resource for you to journal and reflect on what we're learning on Sundays. And my hope as a church family is that we would take time throughout the course of a given week, take 20 minutes, take 30 minutes to be prayerful and to respond. What is God saying to you? How does God want to form you? What does God want you to address? And we'll have that available on our website. We'll send out an email as well. So sign up for our emails as well so you can get access to all the resources and the information uh, that we're making available to you. And as soon as you can today, my hope is that you would register for that seminar that's happening in a couple of weeks. I'd love to see as many of you there to learn about uh, uprooting shame from our lives, especially in this area. I imagine as well that some of you came to church today or some of you watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never taken the next step of saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I recognize that the deep longings in my soul will never be met by another person. That the deep longings in my soul will never be met by another raise, by another promotion, by another degree. But the deep longings in my soul can only be met by the love of God in Christ Jesus. And maybe you came here today and you're recognizing that you need to come to Jesus, receive his love, receive his grace, follow him on the journey. And whether you come up for prayer and, and ch- connecting with one of our prayer team members or one of our pastors, or you just uh, go to that website on, uh, you know, uh, go to our website as well, uh, we want to serve you in taking the next step as well. And so whether you want to say yes to Jesus or get baptized, Um, we want to help you take your next step. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Let me say this, friends. In recent weeks, I have talked to a number of new lifers, letting them know that we're going to go on this journey of exploring the connection between spirituality and sexuality. And I've heard at least two responses. One is, wow, that's really great. I'm glad. The other is, wow, this is not so good. Why are we doing this? And I imagine that to talk about issues like this, like racism, like politics, can bring up a lot of anxiety in us. And my hope 
is that your soul would be at rest, that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit is with you, the Spirit is with us, and that as a community, we are uniquely positioned to dive into some deep areas, to be formed by Jesus Christ, shaped by his love, informed by the scriptures. And so may your pans in this posture be a sign of receiving all you need for, from God in your life and for our community as a whole. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this gathering and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to Jesus to his love, to his kindness, to his mercy. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.